Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. There was a story I came across a little while ago, and there was an indigenous First Nations man visiting his friend who lived in the core of downtown Toronto. They were walking down in Toronto one day together when the First Nations man stopped. You could tell he heard something. His friend asked him, what is it? And he says, I hear a cricket. His friend says, you can't hear a cricket. You're in downtown Toronto. Horns are blasting. Cars are up and down the streets. There's people everywhere. You can't hear a cricket. He says, no, I, I hear a cricket. He says, I hear a cricket. He walked across the street, went over to a shrub, down by a planter, moved some leaves, and there was the cricket. His Torontonian friend was, that's amazing. You have some ears. His indigenous friend says, oh, no, 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 no. It's, it's not about my ears. He says, it depends on what you're listening for. It depends on what you're listening for. I'll prove it. He reached into his pocket and he pulled out a handful of change. Loonies, toonies, quarters. He dropped them on the sidewalk. Everybody within 100 meters stopped and looked. It depends on what you're listening for. It depends on what you're listening for. Next year, we'll commemorate 30 years of uh, this being Cornerstone Fellowship. And around 30 years ago, there were some people who began to hear God say, there needs to be a spirit-filled work joining in with the other churches in this community in order, with passion and with results, to see people come to Christ and to see people turn to Jesus. It began with just a few people. Almost all of us, I don't know if anybody here, maybe somebody here is a part of that original time, but almost all of us weren't. We, um, we, we were adopted into that later on. But it started with what they were listening for, and God planted something here. And out of that, there are those who've been apart and gone on, and uh, really around the world has, we've made a difference. Because we've been obedient, and we were listening for God's direction. This morning I was thinking of that, and I was thinking as a vision casting Sunday, first Sunday of uh, the Sunday after kids go back to school, really, to talk about where we go from here really depends on what are we listening for. What are we tuning our ears to? Because too frequently we have tuned our ears to things around us. We'd be one of those who could pick up the coins, but maybe not have tuned our ears to something of greater significance. There's a story in 1 Kings chapter 17, and I invite you, would you please go there? I want, to, I want us to gather around the table of 1 Kings 17 this morning. 1 Kings 17 is a story of a prophet by the name of Elijah. And Elijah had been given an assignment, a difficult assignment, to speak to a people that had turned their backs on God. Specifically, he was given an assignment to tell a king that uh, 
very difficult news that God actually was going to remove his presence. And they were about to enter into a prolonged period of famine and drought. We pick it up, 1 Kings, if you have that in front of you. 1 Kings chapter 17. I invite you to join with me starting at verse 1. I'm reading from the NIV. Just follow. I'm going to read a number of verses. Can you just hone in on these? Try to follow with the story. Some of you, it's familiar. Maybe, maybe with new lenses, let's read it again this morning. Now, Elijah the Tishbonite from Tishbe, Gilead, said to Ahab, Ahab's the king, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Note that's years. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called and Bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me. From what you have. Everybody say those words, from what you have. Say those again. Mark those. From what you have. And bring it to me. And then make something for yourself, for your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jar of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jar of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word the Lord had spoken from Elijah. Father, this morning we ask that you would help us to understand the intent of that story for us. That not only is it a story of a prophet and a miracle, but that story describes you. And I believe that story describes me and all of us here today. Help us to see, to have ears, and that we listen to what it is you're trying to say today. In your precious name we pray. Amen. This story takes a number of strange twists. I marked about six or seven strange twists, as any good story does. But this is not a is not a fable. This is not fiction. This story happened. And this story was recorded that we might be able to not simply see a historic event, but see the God behind that and what God is trying to say as he tried to say it 
in this particular story. This story begins with a number of surprises, and, and I'm going to call them I like surprises, but surprises can also be difficult to take. This story had a number of surprises, and these surprises were difficult surprises. I'm going to just kind of put them down a point form because I like following kind of these bullet points. So the first one is, is the surprise place. It's a story that Israel had so long departed from the ways of the Lord that God was giving a last-ditch attempt through the king Ahab, who, by the way, was the wickedest of all the kings prior. His wife wasn't a very good role model. Her name was Jezebel. Maybe you heard of her. And she didn't really carry good vibes in that nation. Certainly not godly. And Elijah the prophet was given a word to the king that... He was going to dry up, it wasn't going to rain, and the land would dry up. Now, this is Israel. You need rain once in a while. But it wasn't going to rain for years and years. And so the story was unfolding. He went to the king to tell him. And then some strange things began to happen. In verse 2, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. This is after he's given the verdict of no rain. Leave here, this is, to a, this is to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan. It is here. You will drink from a brook. A brook. Now, if I were God's messenger and wanted an answer to prayer, for God to look after me, and I know I'm about to enter into a season of no rain, I would not be believing for a brook. <laughs> I'd be believing for a lake. Okay, we're talking like years of famine, years of drought. A creek is not going to work. I would at least want a big river. But here's a surprising thing. God, the first surprise was a surprise of a place. The twist here is, I'm going to look after you, Elijah. Go to this little, this little brook, this little stream. And you can drink from there. And I looked at that and I thought, you know, that happens, doesn't it? It's where God sends us to surprising places. I know in my own life, there's been some surprises. I mean, think about even why you're even here in Aurora. Chances are it was a bit of a surprise to many of you. Maybe all of us. Few of you were actually born here and grew up here. Most of us have come in. And it probably was a surprise for most. And I think of certain turns in life. I, I go back to when I was a teenager and I was with a few friends and we decided to take the summer off and travel. We went on a missions trip to the Philippines and there in the Philippines in the summer of 1980. In that surprising place, God got a hold of me. Weird. Why there? Why in that particular setting? It was, it was a twist I couldn't have foreseen. I remember Lori and I had just been married. And I was looking forward to years. I'd been quite involved in the youth ministry. I wanted to just work with youth. And I'd looked forward for years. And at 21 years of age... We went to a church, a little church of 20-some people with four kids to, 
to be a youth pastor of four kids. Okay. And within months, things changed, and the move took me into a place where I was to pastor the church. And 21 years old. I've often said, I've said this to my board. The first time I had a board meeting was when I conducted a board meeting. And I had to call somebody and say, what are you doing in a board meeting? Like, is everybody bored? You know? I know there's usually food, drinks, but what do you do after that? And somebody had to kind of, well, it's a bit bit more than that. Uh, It was a, a surprise move in this little community, meant to be a youth pastor for years, and now I was pastoring a congregation. People, everybody around me was older than me and knew a whole lot more than I did. And it's all surprising. I remember about 20 years ago that uh, there was a need. The Pope in 1999 had visited Cuba, and all of a sudden the doors opened up very briefly in a in, in very communist land, Castro, very strong in Cuba at the time, Fidel. And, but the doors had opened up, a number of Bibles had gone in, and the doors were open to get in there and to just encourage the churches. And so I thought, let's ride along on that. And so we wanted to go that year to visit a church and to encourage the churches. That was 20 years ago. I had no vision for Cuba. I had no desire for that nation. There was nothing in my heart. As a matter of fact, of all the islands, that was the last one I wanted to visit. And we went to Cuba. Now, 20 years later, I've given, been part of facilitating close to half a million dollars flowing into Cuba, hundreds and hundreds of churches, pastors supported. Surprise move back at that moment. I didn't see it. It was a twist. It was weird. It was a director from God. Here's the point. God directs and he moves you like a chess game very strategically to where you are and I believe where you are today, where you and I am today, why we're here. Just as he did Elijah, I want you to go to the brook, not the lake, not the, not the pond, not the big river, the brook. It doesn't make sense. As a matter of fact, you probably push against it. What good can happen at this little brook? But it's exactly there God has called you. I remember a great pastor, uh, a hero to me in the faith, Reverend George Tunks. He was an evangelist, and he was a pastor. I had him come and speak one time, and, and it was actually in that little church, and I had been pastoring there for a while. And it was just like, you know, believing for great things and, and not seeing great things. And, and he came in as an evangelist, and he, he spoke a message. I forget the title. But the message was around the theme that you, and, he, and it was a congregation, you are a river. And many times we look at the big churches, And they're like the lakes. But he says, guess what feeds all of our lakes? Are you. If it weren't for the rivers, there are no lakes. And many people, he actually had a statistic, 90% of the people in the big mega churches have all come from the little streams of the churches of 100 and less. And his call was, you be the best river you can be. You be the best brook you can be. And God has called you to a place of a brook. He's, it's been an unusual move. It's a surprise move. But here you are. Here you are. Not by coincidence. In a place that maybe doesn't always make sense. I continue through the story here of Elijah. And I discover it in verse 4. Let me go to verse 4. He says, You will drink from the brook that I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So, so he doesn't have any food. 
So God's going to open up the heavens, give him some heavenly food. Now, if I were Elijah and God was going to provide supernatural heavenly food, I personally would want it to come from some angels. Are you with me? I would really appreciate genuine angels. I would, I would want angels to come and bring me my food in the morning and in the evening. Here's God and his surprises again. What did God use to bring him his food? Ravens, blackbirds. Now, when I first saw this, I thought, well, the blackbirds in Israel, I mean, it's God's holy land, right? It's, it's a blessed land. They're probably a blessed bird. So I pictured the ravens in Israel, probably a blessed bird somehow. They're probably white. They probably, you know, pick only the best of the finest of meat, you know, grade A meat and give you the best. So I looked up how many ravens, and there's eight different species of ravens in Israel, and all of them are buzzards. All of them. They eat on dead, rotting carcass. And they actually put them right alongside, and they inter interweave them back and forth with vultures. Nothing pretty, nothing cutesy about it. I would not want to be fed whatever a raven wants to give me. And are you with me on this? Okay, we pass over this and we somehow holify it that these things are white, wonderful dove birds coming in, but they weren't. They were buzzards, they eat decay, and God chose not to be fed once, but morning and night for over a year by these buzzards. Uh, I thought of another instance where a raven was used. Remember back in Noah, Genesis? And Noah was trying to find out if there was any land. And he sent out one of the birds he sent out was a raven. And the raven didn't come back. You know why the raven didn't come back? Because it can land on a dead carcass and have a buffet. <laughs> That's why it didn't come back to the ship. It's like in its glory days out there. Dead carcasses everywhere. So a raven, a raven fed him. A raven fed him. Dirty old raven. Okay, surprise provision, surprise provision, and the symbolism is here, is, is, I believe is striking, it simply shows how God can and will provide from unusual sources by surprising means. The kingdom of this world can and will become the kingdom of our God. The carcasses and the rod of this world will be turned into the transformation to see his kingdom built up. Amen? Amen? And I'm a part of it. And I'm a part of it. It's not my plan. It would never have been my plan. But it's his plan. And it's a miraculous plan. And he uses a raven to feed Elijah strategically. I expect many of the provisions for the church and God's people in these days, in these last days, that God will make available from the resources of the rod of this world. Miraculous provision. Surprising provision. Well, it doesn't stop there. Surprising. He sends him to a brook that's drying up. Sends him food from a raven that is a disgusting bird. Then it continues on. It doesn't really get any better. Then it continues on, and it continues, verse 5. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the ravine. He stayed there. Ravens fed him. Down to verse 7. Sometime later, the brook dried up. He knew that was going to happen. Okay, it's there. Like if you sent me to the lake, the lake would still have something in it. If you sent me to a big river, I could find some pools of water. But you sent me to this little trickling stream, this brook. 
it was going to dry up. And the third point I want to bring across is a surprising problem. The brook dried up. I mean, it was pretty good until then. It was a good gig going. Things were going pretty well. Every day, the brook was providing the water, and he had enough to provide for. A raven would come in the morning, and he probably became friends. I mean, those things live years. And so probably he named it, right? You want to name the raven that's feeding you. And they probably had some sort of a weird, good, healthy relationship going on between them. Life was good. He's got water. He's got food. Might not be fresh, but he's got food. And it's consistent. He's not dying. And then the brook dries up. The brook dries up. There are times and seasons when the Lord allows dryness. And the reason he allows dryness is because it's time for you to move on. It dries up. The brook had to dry up. Because if the brook doesn't dry up, he doesn't move. Life had become predictable. Are you like that too? <laughs> Are you like that? That when you have a routine, the routine takes over. And sometimes God just has to stop that routine and dry it up. Something happens. You get a diagnosis. Tragedy happens in the family. Financial reversal. Something. And it dries up. And you stand back, and it's like horror. How dare? And you begin to cast blame upon God. God, how dare you do that? But if he didn't, we would never move. If we didn't, we would never get to the next place. I know the Lord's been dealing with me personally about problems. I was sharing this with my staff just recently. That, and I can tell you exactly where I was down in my study, my chair, early morning, had the Bible on my lap, had some other resources, and, and the Lord was speaking to me about problems, and there was no big problem facing me, but the Lord was addressing me how my attitude towards problems needed to make an adjustment. And the Lord spoke two things into my heart. I didn't read it anywhere, it just spoke into my heart. The two things he spoke, he says, every problem you see, you need to not look at the problem, you need to look at the discovery. Because for every problem, you're about to discover something. So get excited about the discovery. When this situation comes in, it's a big problem. Get excited about the discovery. You're about to discover something that the problem is going to take you to. And secondly, recovery. You will have a discovery. You're going to discover something with that problem. And there's going to be a recovery of something. That could never happen if there was never the problem. And when this brook dried up, I mean, there's a problem. He's got a problem on his hands. This brook dried up. He needed to move on. If that brook never dried up and he never moved on, think of all the things Elijah would have missed. I began to think of it. Okay, let's do it together. You think, think about those of you who know his life. Think about some of the things that went on after the brook dried up. Number one, do you remember the story? It just happens about a year or two after this where God says, okay, now I'm going to... I'm." I'm, you're going to go to Ahab and you're going to tell him it's going to begin to rain. Do you remember the story on Mount Carmel? He goes up on Mount Carmel and he builds this big altar and he soaks it with water and then he has this contest between all these fake prophets and, and people that call down spirits and he has his altar all full of water and these Baal prophets have all their stuff going on. And then who's going to call down fire? Remember the story. And he calls down fire and fire comes down and blows up his altar and blows up the other altar. It's just awesome. If he never left the brook, 
he would have never had the altar-burning experience on Mount Carmel. And then, right after that, remember, God tells him to go out, and he's going he's to send the rains. It's been dry for years. He's going to send the rains. He says, it's coming. I want you to go and look for the clouds. And so he goes, and he's looking, and he can't see anything. I can't see anything. You know, seven times. Remember the story? It's there. Seven times. Seven times he's looking. He sees a cloud the size of a fist. And God says, you better start getting to higher ground. It's coming in. He couldn't have seen the miracle if he stayed at the brook. He wouldn't have had the experience where Jezebel had intimidated him and he felt worn out. He felt depleted. He just wanted to die. He's sitting in the desert. He's just like, whoa, am I? There's nobody else. I'm the last one. And he was touched by an angel. You can tell I have a thing for angels, right? He was touched by an angel. An angel came along and touched him. He would have missed it if he had didn't leave the brook. And remember how he went to heaven? <laughs> Big whirlwind up into heaven. <laughs> he would have missed the whirlwind exit off the earth if he didn't move when the brook dried up. Here, church, listen. There are things that happen. There are events that take place, and they seem like the major of life's reversals. But I'm going to suggest many times God is saying it's time to move. I don't, I don't mean move away. Don't all move away from here. It means it's time for God to do something great. It's a surprise. Something great is about to happen. Behind every problem is a discovery. Behind every discovery is a recovery. God is about to do something. And I want to suggest that there's things that come and they happen for a reason. And that we need to seek God. Have an ear for what he is saying. That God is on the move and doing something tremendous. He did here. It was a, wow, this was a surprising problem. A good problem. Godly opportunity came out of it and took him beyond himself. Got his eyes off the brook and onto something beyond the brook. Well, let's continue on. It goes down, verse 8. It says, the word of the Lord came to him. Go to Zarephath, to the region of Sidon. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Uh... And she will give you food, bread to eat, provision, okay? So number four is a surprising directive. Not only did the brook dry up, where was he to go? Now, again, I would have had ideas, this wouldn't have been one, to go to a widow who's about to die. But that's exactly who God sent her to. And, you know, that's who God linked up with his successor, Elisha. He also dealt with the widow with the little boy as well, if you feel follow that story. And this particular story is not only a widow. A widow is a person who struggled to make a living because the men were very dominant of that society and the men provided for everything. And so a widow who had lost the husband had to beg and, 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 and do anything they could just to get crumbs and scraps. You, you see that throughout the scriptures and throughout these times. And this widow is looking after her little boy, and she's at the, there's years, we're probably guesstimating, you know, we're two or three or three or four years into this drought, and, and everything's dried up. People are hungry. People are starving to death. There's death all over the place. And she is at the end of her end. There's nothing left. And Elijah, and Elijah's told to go to a widow. Very unlikely place to go. And he's told to go to a widow, and not just a widow, but she's a widow at Zarephath, and it says of of. She's a Sidonite widow. Now, these particular widows from the Sidonian people, Sidonians were the worst of the 
idol worshipers of the whole region. They were despised by Israelites because they had attacked them many times. They were a thorn in their side. And, and for all intents and purposes, God's people had given up on those people. So he not only went to a widow, but a widow from that region that God's people don't associate with. As a matter of fact, I did a cross-reference and I realized Jesus spoke about this very incident in Luke chapter 4, verse 24. It says this, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. No prophet, this is from Luke 4, 24, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you, now he's talking to all the religious people of his day, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in in Elijah's time, this is the story, when the sky was shut up for three and a half years, there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow at Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And what happened right after Jesus told this story, if you were to continue to read They were so mad at Jesus that he would even hint about this widow from this heathen place. They grabbed Jesus and they took him to a cliff and they were trying to throw him off in order to kill him. And Jesus slipped out of their midst. That's how the story goes in Luke. What infuriated them was this story. The story we're reading today. So the widow is not a natural place. It's not a natural person to go. It's not a people group that you wanted to go to. This was an unthinkable group of people. And yet that's exactly where God had called him to go. And he had a surprising request. In verse 13, the request we read, he says, don't be afraid, go home, do as you have said, but first make a small loaf. So she was saying, listen, I, I don't have anything. I, I'm on my last. We might have one more meal between the, me and my son. They've been you know, rationing for some time. Just me and my boy, we, this is all we have. We are going to starve and Elijah shows up, now one more mouth to feed, you know, a man's mouth, he's hungry. And he comes in, and she says, I don't have it. And, and he makes this request. You come down here, he says, he says don't be afraid. <laughs> Chill out. Go home, do what you've said. But before you eat, would you make me something? I like this story. Because could you imagine, if it were you, you'd be thinking, Who do you think you are? (laughs) Come on, we would all thought that and probably done something about it. Who do you think you are that you've walked in here from nowhere? We are, you just heard that the last we have we're about to eat and you want us to give that to you? Right? I could just see it. That's exactly what he asked. He said, first make me a small loaf of bread And those words I had you say earlier, from what you have. Here was the key. From what you have, give it. And then watch the miracle. You see, she was talking about what she didn't have. She didn't have any more food. She didn't have a cake to give him. She didn't have a roast to give him. She didn't have a container of water to offer him. I mean, she, she, she didn't have all, all she had was, and she identified it. I have this, I have that, and that's all we have. And he says, would you give that to me? Would you give it to me? Now, remember, he represented the Lord. He was a prophet. He would have come, he would, she knew he was a prophet when he came. Remember, the Bible says she was actually looking for him. God had stirred her heart and said, there's a prophet coming, and he's going to actually save your life. Well, he comes up and he asks her to give the last of her little bit of her squanderings that she's got left in order for him to be fed. But she's recognizing that in so doing, she's actually giving it to God. She's giving it to the Lord. 
Whatever you need, give that away to someone else. There is no greater sacrifice of love to God than what I have right now, I give it to someone else. There's no greater sacrifice. And that's really the point of this whole story. That's really the point of listening to what God has for us in the days ahead. What we have. He's not asking what you don't have. He's not asking what someone else has. He's not asking you what Pastor Wayne has. and He's not asking Pastor Wayne what you have. He's asking you that specific question. What do you have? You have been placed to a particular place by surprising circumstances. There's been these odd twists and turns in your life like ravens coming in. He's dried up a few brooks and turns you in, in, in 90 degree turns where you didn't want to go. And here you are. And now he is asking you, what's in your hand? Would you be prepared to give it to the work of the Lord? And there is the question. I believe that's the question all of us are hearing and need to hear today. The question is, what do you have in your hand? What do I have? What does Wayne Lucas have to offer? Put your name in there. What do you have? Because he's not asking what you don't. He's asking what you have. And out of what you have, she had very little. And so many times when that happens, we say, but I don't have anything. Everything's been stripped from me. I, I don't have anything to give back. I'm, I'm an introvert person. I'm a shy person. I, I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't do this. And it reminds me of the story of Moses in Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4 where Moses and God were having this discussion and God says, I want Moses, you to go back to Pharaoh in Egypt because my people, it's time for their freedom. And Moses said, I can't do it, I can't do it. No, I can't do it. He says, they won't listen to me. And do you remember God's response in chapter four, the first few verses of chapter four, God's response was this. Moses, he didn't go back. He didn't say, Moses, remember all that education I gave you? He didn't say, Moses, remember I made you a person who could really, you're good with words. Moses, you're a real strong, you know, Charlton Heston, you know, you're a really strong guy. He didn't say any of that. God never used any of those things. When Moses said, God, they won't listen to me. God says, Moses, what's in your hand? You read it. What's in your hand? And Moses looked down, he had a staff in his hand. He said, I have a staff. I thought he thought, Moses probably thought that would end the discussion. <laughs> I have a staff. And God says, throw it down. Give it back to me. He threw it down. Remember the story? It turns into a snake. Woohoo! God says, now grab the snake by the tail. Now, I just tell you, I don't grab any snake by the tail. <laughs> Pastor Isaac and I, we've been out for walks in the bush, and he tells me every time I stop to go back to get the snake, he says, don't you dare. But I will never grab it by this tail. I will always grab it by the neck. And grabbed it by the tail, and it turned back into a staff. And God says, what was in your hand will be your deliverance in Egypt. God never asks for what you don't have. He always asks what's in your hand. And this morning, when we come to this final part, as we come down through this, we come to the last few verses in verse 15, and the Bible says, she went away and did. Everybody say did. Did. She did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for her, Elijah, and her family. She was provided for. You see, there's something fundamental. There's something miraculous. It's not magic. It's called multiplication. God is not a God of magic. He's a God of multiplication. He will take the little you have and do something with it. But he's not going to just like rub a genie and out it comes. We wait for <gasps> out of nothing. No, what have you got to give him? And out of that, watch it come forth. It will be of human effort 
But if you give it to the Lord, if you give it to the Lord in obedience and faith, put what we have in our hands and lay it into the Lord's hands, he multiplies it every time. That's the story. Whatever's in your hand, he will multiply. I really believe that's, that's this. It was spoken of in Luke chapter 6. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Will he supply multiplication? As we come into this new season, I believe today, this week, that there's a number of surprises that God has intertwined in our lives that brings us to this moment, this moment of his question. Put your name in there. Wayne, put your name. What do you have in your hand right now? And I don't mean, you know, a cell phone or a Bible. I mean, we're talking, here's what my life is. And you might think you disqualified, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say no way, no way, no way. Believe in him. Believe he will take that, and there will be a surprise multiplication. You give back what's in your hand. She did. She gave up that last meal and gave it to Elijah, and her stomach never went hungry. Her boy never went hungry, and Elijah never went hungry. And therein is the miracle. God wants to do that in our day. He will take the provisions of this day, this kingdom of this world, and he will turn it into the kingdom for his glory. But it requires you and I to give back and to lay into his hands what's, our, what's in our hands. He doesn't ask you for what you don't have. He asks you for what you have. Father in heaven this morning, I pray that, Lord, this message is a simple story. But that story is a twisted story. And so is ours. It's a twisted story. Many ways, we have probably shrugged it off saying, it just doesn't make sense. And many times, we have too often said, if only, if only, if only, if only that had gone differently. If only I hadn't married. If only I hadn't gone that particular way. If only... And yet, God, you put those twists and surprise turns in there. You dried things up and you moved us and you, you set everything in place. Because, God, at this very moment, you know our circumstance. You know the individual circumstance here today. You know those that need a definite answer to prayer. And so, God, we take this story and we take for what the meaning is the question, what do you have and that, God, would we be obedient to give to the service of the king? Maybe, maybe it's calling us into a, a caring for the elderly. And we don't even like the elderly. But you're saying, can you do it? And we do. Lord, I, I counted. There was 20 of our workers across the front. I counted this morning, 20 of them. And God, I rejoice in those workers. Because a number of those workers... If they had their first choice, they wouldn't be teaching the children. They'd be sitting up here enjoying, sitting in comfortable seats, enjoying the morning. But they've made a decision to give what they have. And some of them have gone a little bit kicking and screaming, saying, I'm not a good teacher. I don't know a whole lot about children. I don't really like kids. And yet, God, you heard them when they said, here, God, take what I have. You multiply it, and you are. God, maybe you're calling us to a people that we don't feel welcomed by. Maybe you're calling us into a community or into something that is not our first choice. 
but you're asking us, would, you, would we be giving, willing to give you what's in our hand so that you would multiply it? And by faith, you will multiply it. So God, I pray, speak to our hearts, change our lives, and manifest your presence in us this day, we pray. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.